Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Malcolm Honline is Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Friday mornings at this time for the weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. Always good to be with you. You know, we, you and I have been, um, and I know the weekly update, and we'll, and we'll get to the news of the day eventually, um, but I, 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 you and I have, uh, over the last few weeks especially, but really over the last few decades, have spent certain Friday mornings talking about the difference one person can make uh, I have certainly briefed those who did not know Yankee Meyer this morning in uh, in totality about uh, at least what we know in terms of what he did for the international Jewish community and I would say for, for humankind in general, frankly. Um, but one of the themes that you and I have been touching on um, when discussing the lives of, uh, of people who've made an impact uh, recently is that one person can make such an incredible Difference. It must have been interesting from your vantage point uh, watching him work and seeing him make that difference. I, it's hard to put into words uh, the contribution he made, the dedication he demonstrated. Uh, I've known him for many, many years when he first started Misanskim. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's not only the difference, he changed worlds, how many families he impacted. What Misaskin does today is already taken for granted, yeah. but it, it was such a novel idea, and, and, and many people were skeptical at first, you know, about about this service, but it's in fact the time when people need it most. Uh, it, it's in the league with, with Hatsala, with uh, the other incredible initiatives that have been taken, but here you had one individual who really carried it and executed it and sustained it over the years. I, I think people will only, as he noted, come to appreciate fully what he meant and what he did uh, now that when people start to reflect on it, it was something you took for granted. And, and I hardly know a family that, that didn't need to call on them and didn't, you know, in the course of life, for, for assistance at, at a moment when your head is not on on thinking about the chairs and the shtender and the sudurim and everything all of a sudden showed up. And uh, I can't tell you how many people have expressed um, this, these sentiments about the impact. That I, I got to make, yeah. make two more points, and you're the best person to make them with. Uh, the first is that... Um, You've heard, I don't know how many times, I can only imagine how many times you've heard after someone's passing, that it will take multiple people to replace them. Uh, it's not just a line. It's true. And in this case, I think you'd agree that it's really true. It's going to take many people to get to the scope of what he covered in terms of chesed in our community. I think it already has taken many to keep up with him and to implement his vision and to sustain it. I think you're absolutely right. It will, it's a burden now the community has to take. I mean, I think he established it in a way that it will be able to continue, which is a real test of leadership. Right. And he, I think he will, um, he will, it will be sure that Ms. Oskim's work will not end. And But it was not just Ms. Oskim. Right. He, he did so many other things that this is the most visible thing that people know to attribute to him. But he intervened. He helped so many people with such a variety of cases, from medical situations to other things. That uh, you know, we just you heard it and you just took it for granted. 
Uh, look, personally, a lot of people who are longtime listeners know that he was there and coordinated the entire effort to search for my missing father back in 2008. So I could say that from a personal standpoint. I can also say, and I got a million stories, frankly. I can also say that when one of our children hit a deer in an area of New York State where that was completely deserted in the middle of the night, uh, my wife said to me, call Yankee. And sure enough, within minutes, the state trooper in the local area was there to help them and get them you know, back to where they were going. So, yeah, that's just a couple of examples. And by the way, on the state trooper thing, I must say, one of, this is the second point I wanted to make with you, or the additional point. The... Um, what, what, why was he able to interact the way he did with members of the Port Authority, with police commissioners and fire commissioners, with every mayor since Giuliani, as Yeshiva World described it, uh, uh, with, with all these government officials? He had tremendous calm reverence and respect for everybody that he spoke to. It could be somebody in a different state who never even heard of a rabbi or a Jew. And when he connected with them because of an emergency that had to be taken care of, there was an immediate connection because of the tremendous respect he had. He, you know what you and I always like to say about certain people once they're gone? We love to say that he represented us well. When he was the spokesman for our community, we knew we didn't have to worry. And boy, that's something that you really can appreciate. I appreciate him on so many levels, but you're absolutely right. It, and it's not just that he respected everybody, but everybody respected him yep. because they saw that there was somebody without any other ulterior motive, agenda, anything, that it was so pure, uh, the motivation was so pure and obvious, and the way that he treated others is the way they, they came to treat him. Yeah, pretty amazing. Anyway, we remember Yankee Meyer funeral later today in brooklyn new york someone very dear to this show and this network and somebody frankly whose loss is going to be very difficult for our community to overcome um and i thank you malcolm for helping me with that um all right we'll, we'll get to the queen and all the news and everything just one more thing you and i had the privilege of being at the um uh, the hanukkah tabai the dedication to the brand new uh, location premises of the Orthodox Union, uh, downtown Manhattan yesterday. And Malcolm, I got to get your perspective because look, you've seen so many organizations over all these decades and a lot of them have their ups and downs and, you know, the graph, you know, goes in different directions and there are different eras, etc. It, it just seems to me that the trajectory for the OU, even being the age that they are officially as an organization, just continues to go up. What's your impression of what we saw yesterday? Well, the new headquarters, I think, reflects the growth, and, and very few people understand. They know the OU as a symbol of kosher. Some know about NCSY and the amazing work they do, but few know the true scope of the, the union's work um, in supporting schools and reaching out in, in a variety of programs for all aspects of the Orthodox community and that it it really operates below the radar. They have a Washington office that's very effective. They have so many that on the state level, uh, they lead in so many of the campaigns, but they're not the grandstanders. They're people, and Rabbi Hauer, I think the, the executive is, a, is an example of that. I think Moshe Bain, the president is, and so are many the others. They look to get things done, and they're reliable partners. And allies, as they have been throughout the years, whether it was Soviet Jewry and all the things that I was involved in, the OU's leadership was present and active. And the the um, people always say to me, well, Kostras has money in it. And I say, yeah, but all that money is then devoted to services to the community. Yeah. And I think when we walked through the place yesterday, I think getting to see how many people work there, how much is being done in the different divisions, 
is um, is very inspiring. And Mazel Tov to Rabbi Howard, to Rabbi Dr. Josh Joseph, to Mike Spain, as you mentioned, the entire lay leadership. Uh, a big milestone, to say the least. And uh, they do everything in a contemporary manner, which is so unusual for older organizations. They insist on being state-of-the-art 2022. That should be recognized and emulated. Uh, Malcolm Holmline with us, Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents, Major American Jewish Organizations. All right, some news out there. Uh, we heard about the passing of Queen Elizabeth. You've actually told us some tidbits about the royal family vis-a-vis Israel and vis-a-vis the Jewish community over the years. Feel free, obviously, uh, to repeat some of those today. They're, they're, they're interesting tidbits. There's so many different pieces of information are coming out. I don't know what to believe, frankly, and what not to believe in terms of uh, the Queen uh, and Israel and the Jewish community, etc. Isn't it interesting how um, she ruled for all these decades, for seven decades, and there's always been an intertwined history, or I should say modern history, between Great Britain and what would eventually become the state of Israel. If you look at the first half of the 20th century, Malcolm, I don't have to tell you, but if anybody looks at the first half of the 20th century, it's amazing how the Great Britain is completely intertwined in many different ways with what ends up being the future state of Israel. Yes, and as the party that had responsibility, we're obviously um, playing a critical role, but I think her uh, particular role, remembering covering uh, almost the entirety of Israel's existence, the um, the fact that she never visited Israel, uh, and that there was a sort of a policy, whether explicit or implicit, that royals didn't visit, pay formal visits. Uh, her husband did pay a visit because his mother is buried on Harazim on the Mount of Olives. She was and her story is quite remarkable in and of itself. She, she harbored a Jewish family in Greece when she, she was living in Athens during the war, the Second World War, and she harbored a Jewish family there, and she later became a nun and asked to be buried in the Mount of Olives. Wow. And at Shimon Peres' funeral, uh, I, I met Prince Charles, uh, now King Charles the right. Third, and he, he was—he had this big blue yarmulke with a gold emblem on it. It was quite—it was sort of a crown more than a yarmulke, but it—he um, he was standing there, and I was right. In the, he was sitting in the front row, and nobody was paying attention. So I walked over, and we had a, a talk, and I said that I had just seen because I had been at the Mount of Olives to see uh, that I—I I saw his grandmother's grave, and. He, he said, well, can I see it from here? And I said, no, but you can visit it. It's very close. And the the he asked me questions about it, and we got into a discussion about how she was there, and it, he he called over an aide. I'm giving you the short version mm-hmm. of this, cause the, and, but it was all televised. It was all on CNN because we were right in the front row of the thing as we were waiting for the rest of the dignitaries to show up. And... And we had an animated discussion about it. And he said to me, he called over an aide and said, I want to go there. And they said, no, 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 you, you can't go there. <laughs> and sort of stuttering and having a, a combination of, uh, I think they were apoplectic uh, in the process. And he kept saying, well, it's complicated. To and he looked at him and he said, I want to go there. I just heard from him that it's not far from here and we can... I said, it's only a few minutes drive. He went. And 
of course, the next day it was a big story, you know, 10 Downing Street, everybody got involved in the fact that, that Prince Charles paid a visit because he was there on an official visit. Right. His father, as I said, had paid a private visit. But he went then subsequently, when he went to, to Israel thereafter. The Queen visited 120 countries, but she never visited Israel. And, uh, you know, I guess the historians will have a lot to say about that. Should we assume that King Charles will now never visit Israel? No, I don't think you can assume that. It's, um, you know, he's had a close relationship with the Jewish community. I think the Queen did, too. Uh, they want a close relationship with the chief rabbi, especially Rabbi Sachs, I know. And if you look at the glowing tributes from Rabbi Merwis and others of the leadership of the Jewish community in England, uh, you see that they had a, a relationship with the royals, and, the, and including the Queen. Uh, and I remember stories that Rabbi Sachs used to, to tell so, um, you know, we shouldn't draw quick conclusions. And what about the, uh, you know, these, these tidbits that are coming out, these stories that she convinced her father to assist with the kinder transport, that, uh, uh, that she, uh, you know, wrote letters to principals of, of private schools where, when they're, you know, the students behaved in a proper manner because she was so taken by how some of the Jewish children in a positive way uh, would behave when she would visit, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, do we know which, which of these are true, which aren't? No, they're all true. I think that, you know, people are complicated. There are a lot of facets, especially when you were a royal for as many years as she was, and went through a lot of different phases. Uh, but uh, clearly, I mean, I know British Jews who attest to, to the relationship and feel very close, and the community will mourn her loss, like all of Britain will, or most of Britain will. And I think, you know, people, as I said, you have to leave it to the historians to sort things out, and then we'll, we'll come up with a more comprehensive picture. Right, understood. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Our listeners sponsored digital radio around the world, the web at NachumSiegel.com and the NachumSiegel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Holmline is Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. What can you tell us about the Israeli raids at the Aleppo airport? It's a very important uh, development, and it's uh, part of a series of attacks, and I've been reporting on for a long time, and underscoring the significance, even though people sort of take for granted, uh, this was, uh, it follows an attack on Damascus Airport, and then an attack on the Aleppo Airport, but a second one, which now really did much more devastating damage to runways, the facilities there, and it's been done because the Iranians are using the airports to transport weapons that are going to their militias in in Syria and to Hezbollah. They transport money, they transport weapons and ammunition. And Israel has made clear that it's not going to allow this just to go unfettered and, and resists uh, these things. And the, um, they have much more freedom of action for a number of reasons. One that Russia took out some of the S-300, the anti-aircraft systems, and they shipped them to the Ukraine. You see that the leaders of Syria have called on Iran not to carry out any actions against Israel from their territory. The Russians also called on Iran not to, to do it. But why? Uh, why? And they're not providing... Because they don't want to see Iran take over. None of them want to see the expansion. First of all, they will not allow Assad to rule. So it's they sort of will, like saying to them, you're not going to fight our war for us. 
No, they're saying that we don't want Iran to become the dominant factor in Syria, which with the Russians being preoccupied elsewhere, they will be, they were the guys who backed Assad from the beginning, so he was obligated to them. But, you know, they've done population exchange. They've brought in Shiite populations. They're, they're trying to take over permanently Syria, as they are in Iraq, as they have in Lebanon. And they, you know, they're using Hezbollah as a front and, and their operators there, but they have their own militias, which involves thousands and thousands of people. You know, people envisage when we, we talk about militias that there's some ragtag groups. It's not true. And they have expanded their activities in Israel, cannot allow it because it becomes an existential threat if they are able to put all the missiles, there's 150,000 missiles in the hands of Hezbollah now in Lebanon, but they also send guidance systems, which makes them much more sophisticated. And the, the this attack Israel did from the Mediterranean, so it's not to challenge the Russians, uh, who, but who have given them, I think, uh, a lot of uh, leeway to continue to, to um, carry out these attacks. So there are other attacks that go on, and Israel has... Um, has made it very clear that it, it cannot stop, it cannot um, pull out, because this they will fill the void immediately, as they have, and they constantly, the, Russia, the Iranians try to move uh, closer and closer to the border. They're also violating the rights of Muslims in the south so in, of, of Syria, so the, the um, you know, this is a, a, a complicated situation, but the, the raids on Syria are very important. So that's why the world basically is quiet, or if I'm right, because I, I didn't see much reaction. The world's quiet about most things. You know? Right. They, they, but, but usually when Israel does something or anything, especially, you know, an act like this, someone's going to say so. There are critics, so obviously people warn in the, the U.N., but, the, but the, uh, you know, the U.N. has become so fickle there, the, the, the uh, UNIFIL troops are doing nothing, and they don't try to stop the flow. The, in fact, there was a complaint filed by the UN against uh, with Hezbollah about the fact that they, you know, have, have essentially kept the UNIFIL troops to their bases, and they don't interfere. But they haven't interfered for years. Look at all the tunnels, all the stuff. They they have to see it, and they know of the buildup of the troops, but they did almost nothing. And the uh, I, I think that the you know, the world looks at this and sees that, you know, Israel is on the side of right. There's no real constituency for Syria. And, you know, the government really is not that much in charge. So they, they get away with a lot. And, and here for Iran, who, who's expanding their activities everywhere, we see it. it just If you look in the last week, Albania broke a relationship with, with them because they were using, they hacked into their government systems and they threw out their ambassador, gave him 24 hours to leave. Uh, Azerbaijan and, and Iran tensions are escalating very much. The um, uh, We see their activities in, in South Africa and Southern Africa expanding and the, and the Hezbollah's activities in South Africa. We've talked many times about, about uh, uh, America. Yep. So, and that has, and then on top of that, we have the negotiations. And Sweden filed, filed complaints. They just published an 80-page report this week about how Iranians are stealing their nuclear secrets and trying to get the technology that is relevant to the nuclear program from Sweden. Boy, oh boy, there's a lot going on, and it's hard to keep track of all of it. Um, I should have attached this to the uh, to Queen conversation. What do we know about the brand-new prime minister of Great Britain? 
she has a, a track record that is positive. Um, she's had a very short political career, but it's uh, it's positive, and the anticipation is that she'll continue the uh, Johnson uh, mode of relationship with Israel, which was very positive, especially in comparison to previous governments. Right. Uh, there's always hope, I guess, right? Hope springs eternal, especially when there's a change in government. Um, the uh, the journalist, this is how the Times puts it. The Israeli army has concluded that the Palestinian-American broadcaster was probably killed by one of its own soldiers, but stopped short of accepting definitive blame. What do you think of the coverage of this uh, piece of news that Israel, in fact, has uh, admitted that it likely came from one of their own? Look, the world condemned Israel. All the media ganged up. The fact that thousands of journalists have been killed over the last years that, and nobody knows their names or, or makes a case out of it. In this instance, you know, of course, everybody knows uh, Shireen and, and they, all the publicity that some of this coverage afterwards was so obsequious and so um, distorted. Israel, unlike all these other countries, it launches an investigation did not say it was conclusive. They said it is likely, but not. Uh, they didn't conclude definitively that it was. Right. And, uh, I mean, who else does it? Now they're calling for a review, I mean, including America, a review of uh, the, the policies and weapons, and both guns and the defense minister and the prime minister, Lapid, and others, all said that's outrageous. <laughs> you know, Israel, which is facing every hour, every day, these threats, including in the last 24 hours, and the, the actions uh, in Janine and elsewhere where soldiers are coming under fire, where you know weapons are being used, it's not uh, uh, incidental. It's not knifing. Even these are they're using automatic weapons, and the the constant attacks and the, the miraculous event yesterday where these two young soldiers just saw a guy that they thought was suspicious. Yep. They approached him and found a machine gun in his, his uh, and said he was about to carry out a terrorist attack. We talk, we talk about the terrorist attacks that Israel thwarts that we never read about, don't see, and that, there's no reason, you know, there's no reason not to believe that because, you know, you've proven to us a million times that there's so many attacks that Israeli intelligence is able to intercept, but it just seems over the last couple of weeks Either some of them are just hitting the press and they're being reported on, or or it's just at a level that we don't normally see. Doesn't it seem like there's a proliferation of these attacks that are being stopped by Israeli security forces at this point? There's definitely a proliferation. There's a proliferation of attacks within Israel. And you remember there were a lot of people were, were killed uh, earlier this year. And now the, the continuation, and there are... Uh, car rammings and other incidents, which become so commonplace that they hardly get any coverage, certainly not here in Israel. Obviously, they do. But, the, yeah, the world becomes inured to it. But Israel, unlike any of the other countries, is not given the right to defend itself, to take the steps necessary. And part of it is also because the PA has uh, sort of relinquished its, uh, its role as being uh, responsible and while there's still cooperation between Israel and PA security, it, it, the PA itself has uh, failed, and Israel is constantly calling on them to do to do much more to take responsibility. Um, but but they don't. Yeah, understood. Do you think Putin is sick, tired, or sick and tired? <laughs> Maybe all <laughs> the above. Um, and I think. Uh, you know he's he's mired in a in a conflict that I don't think he anticipated would go would have this course. Yeah, it looks like Zelensky's um, doubling down. 
they are definitely doubling down. They're taking the the uh, more aggressive position, and they've recaptured some villages. But I think you have to look at the the Kherson region, which is also the gateway to Crimea, which Zelensky has said that he wants to regain. But the you know this, they're going into winter. And it's it, the troops get bogged down, and especially with the supply lines. It's a lesson you learned from history. Yeah. And uh, the, the you know there's bound to be more and more reaction at home um, against it. And if uh, if they would if he loses it, it it I think would be very fatal to his regime. Wow, unbelievable. Five Palestinians, two accused of spying for Israel, were executed in Gaza. They have, they have quite a justice system over there in Gaza. No world reaction to this story, right? Well, two of them were accused of spying for Israel and three of them for other crimes. But you're absolutely right. That is the point, that there there's no reaction to the fact that they execute five people. By the way, Iran executed a lot of people, including... Um, uh, Hamas. Uh, also, there, were, there was execution of the LGBT activists, and it, none of it gets even a, a wink of, of attention. Uh, by the way, Hamas and, and Pij are now in a very heated uh, fight over responsibility for the the missiles that misfired. And there was an accounts where where they said that that uh, Pij actually killed more Palestinians in Gaza then were killed by Israel's response to the rocket fire by their misfired uh, rockets. And the, um, you know, the tensions in the region, in, inside Gaza itself, um, seems to be increasing. Um, so the, they, they found also, and again, you see very little coverage, of a memo that they gave out that the about the coverage of reporters who were allowed in, number one, had to hire a local stringer, meaning they couldn't go in themselves. They had to hire a local who would control, obviously, what they saw and who they saw and, and knew that they were being watched all the time by them and, um, and, and then gave a list of lies that they had to promulgate. And, you know, distortions about the coverage of, uh, of the conflict then. So... This is, um, you know, it's so outrageous, and yet the the world as a whole, the media as a whole, knowing all this doesn't doesn't give it any coverage. Not a word. Uh, UN General Assembly. When is it going to start? Well, theoretically, the, the official start is next week on the thirteenth. The, the the more public start is the following week. Uh, President Biden is scheduled to come. I think on the the, the Monday next uh, week, uh, Monday a week. So it'll be and over. He's before... going to speak on Tuesday. No, but that the the heads of state will speak through that week and into Rosh Hashanah. Um, I'm not sure what the attendance is going to look like. So far, it seems to be pretty quiet. But uh, usually, the coming week when we find out who's going to come and what level of the representation there will be, we already have. A, a series of meetings with some of the visiting heads of state and foreign ministers, as we do every year. Yeah. Uh, but We don't have the weekly update next week, uh, so I guess in two weeks will give us some type of preview in terms of who's going to try to do what on that floor? Uh, I, we'll be able to give you a report <laughs> the next time. Oh, the next time. Um, because uh, we've had a lot of right. meetings in the interim. 
Right. But yeah, the, but I, I'm talking about the uh, you know the the, the uh, grandstanding done by the PA and and others. You know, is, is, is well, it, the big issue there is the PA is going to push for uh, wants to push again for statehood and wants to bring it up. The Security Council of the United States has been telling them not to do it and, and urging them not to do it. Obviously, Israel will not accept it, and the the um, We'll have to see. He's not the most popular person, Abbas, because people see that, you know, there's no election, there's no effort. It, it, it was a great story. And again, I'm sorry, but this, that the, they call it the ghost hospitals, that they found two hospitals that received huge amounts of money. And remember, America just gave them, uh, what, $500 million mm-hmm. supposedly for the hospitals, but you see how fungible it is. So there are two there are two hospitals, one that was named for Abbas. It's a 50-acre hole in the ground, nothing happening there. And then one, which is full of modern equipment, never operational, never will be operational. It's all a sham. It's part of the corruption, and it means that the people are being denied the services. And, of course, who, who will they blame, even though it's very hard to find how you you can draw the extension to, to end up blaming um, Israel, mm-hmm. but they're never going to function. And yet they let them. And also the EU finally this week blasted UNRWA, the head of UNRWA, over the Palestinian textbooks, which are more full of hate and anti-Israel and anti-Semitic stuff than before. While other countries have moved towards moderating their textbooks, they keep going the wrong way. Yeah, well... Same old, same old, as they say. Uh, finally, do you roll your eyes when you see the German Chancellor apologize 50 years later for the Munich Olympic massacre? You know, it doesn't bring anybody back to life. It is a, it's a gesture, the fam- something the families wanted, and they got the compensation they wanted. I'm sorry that so much of the focus was on this fight over their participation because they were not satisfied with the uh, compensation package that had been offered, and it was increased and they they did participate because I think it's more important is to tell the story to remind the world of the inaction for a long time and the toll that was paid at an international sporting event and the um, you know the tragedy that occurred there 50 years later hard to believe frankly uh, we have another yeah, we, we, we all remember it as yesterday yeah well that yeah those of us who were around certainly remember it like it was yesterday uh, just like with the with the queen's uh with the queen's reign the very few people around who don't remember her as queens and there are less and less people <laughs> around who remember the munich massacre frankly unfortunately or whatever you know we got to keep telling our children and grandchildren about these episodes and uh and teach them as much about jewish history and certainly modern jewish history as possible uh they have to realize that uh the state of israel has not always been been like this it is flourishing it is incredible what's going on uh but uh first of all at one time there was no state and secondly it was not always like this there was a real shift a seismic shift i think during the 08 uh, economic crash a seismic shift in terms of israeli independence from jewish communities around the world i don't know if that's a if you would say it the same way uh, well, but, now you see the government allocated money for Jewish education abroad and is increasingly uh, allocating funds and taking on a responsibility that hardly anybody would have believed possible, uh, probable 50 years ago. Um, and uh, the, the sense of arivut, the responsibility for one another, is a mutual one. It's no longer the poor cousin in Israel. Yeah. In many cases, it's the rich uncle in Israel. Yeah. But, 
But I, but I also want to say that people should not overlook the negotiations with Iran. It's, we're being lulled into to this sense of it's off and it's not going to be, I think, because the administration doesn't want to have a vote before November. But this also could be like we saw in the previous round in the last months where they said that there's no deal, no deal, and all of a sudden there was a deal on the table. So we have to keep up our vigilance to make the case about why this deal is no good. It's shorter. It's weaker. Iran is not the same Iran. They have all of the technology. They're installing more and more advanced centrifuges. They can they enrich at a higher and higher level, all in violations of the agreements. There are activities all over the world in in uh, encouraging terrorism and sponsoring terrorism. And think if they get another $100 billion a year to, to do that. So people should not be lulled into a, a full sense of confidence about the, the deal being dead. Yeah, 100%. Uh, two weeks from today, we continue with the weekly update. Have a wonderful Shabbos, Malcolm, and thanks so much for joining you us. Too. Malcolm Holmline, Vice Chairman, Conference of Presidents, Major American Jewish Organizations, Friday morning, Erev Shabbos here at JM and the AM. And I thank him for helping us remember Yanki Meyer, who uh, passed away at an age that uh, is hard for us to believe, 58 years old. How much he accomplished and what he did for so many people around the world. I don't think there was a human being that he turned down when he felt he could help them. And certainly in our community, that uh, you, you could double down on that statement. Uh, his funeral takes place later today in Brooklyn, New York at 10.30 this morning. And uh, we remember him with tremendous affection and gratitude. Our condolences to his family. Hard to believe they have to go through this. He was always there for everybody. We have to be there for them. And um, what can I say? The king of chesed. The king of chesed has been taken from us. Literally. Somebody who, who ruled the, the Chesed monarchy with tremendous responsibility, care, and concern. And I hope we're able to learn from the lessons that he taught us of what it's like to be there for somebody in their time of need. We remember our dear friend Yankee Meyer with tremendous affection. And it is hard to believe that uh, he is in fact gone.